goodness gracious. Good morning, church. <clears throat> to bear with my scratchy voice a bit, I didn't know if I would be able to make it through that last song. Um, it's not exceptionally high, but my voice is a little chewed up thanks to this cough and flu and all that mess. But I made it through that. We'll see if I can get through this. So I'm going to talk kind of quiet and low, hopefully, and sustain my voice. I'll start there. I'll probably end up hollering like I often do when I get pumped up, but we're going to make an honest effort not to overdo it. So we're going to be in Micah today. We talked a little bit in small group. If you've been part of our congregation for a while, uh, Mike and I try to preach uh, through books uh, of the Bible in their entirety. I think it's a wonderful way to study the Word. It helps so much with context and understanding of bigger pictures. And we move around in the Bible, but we don't often do a series based on perhaps an idea and then use different areas of the Bible to try to prop up that idea. We're not opposed to that, but I think a lot of times that's difficult to do well, and maybe you end up injecting a lot of things that aren't necessarily in the Bible into what you're talking about to buttress an argument that can be made a number of ways. So um, but this is an interesting time of year when it comes to Christmas. Many people, uh, Jesus is on people's lips. We're seeing signs up that say the Christ all over the place with Christmas. And when we talk about Advent, what it means to us, an understanding that people may actually be receptive. They may want to know why we're doing what we're doing and going to church and bothering with this stuff, especially when Christmas is on a Sunday. It's a great opportunity to talk about it. So uh, I, I think in the spirit of that, we are focusing on an Advent message, and today's is going to be the greatest gift. Last week, I talked about preparing your eyes, and we were in Matthew, and about what we are looking for. What are we looking for at Christmas? That was last week. This week, a gift has been given, right? Now, let's talk about it's Christmas. Let's, let's think about it that way, and what is this gift, and why is it so great? So we'll be in Micah, uh, just a few verses here in Micah. 5. And we'll do verses 2 through 5. If you have your Bible, uh, read with. If not, it's up on the screen. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we journey into Micah, and we read a prophecy of the Messiah, Lord. Help us to be able to look at that today and understand that in this short three or four verses that we've read, Lord, there are there's so much richness there for our faith and our belief today that we are not coming up with new ideas. We aren't your, your coming to this earth was not a response to something unforeseen. It was the plan from the get-go. Your glory is made greater by Christ's coming and by our salvation, Lord. It's a wonderful gift, and help us to be able to consider that gift today together and grow closer to you and have a deeper relationship, obviously to be able to 
communicate more clearly to those around us why Christmas is so important. Senior your sons in my prayer. Amen. All right, so the greatest gift. Ah, yes, the gift of Jesus. This is a little joke in church. If any question that's asked, uh, Jesus? Like, correct. Yeah, that's, I know that's probably what you're thinking. You're not wrong, but don't tune out. Greatest gift, Jesus. Check, awesome. Let me get through some emails, maybe take a, a brief nap. That's cool. But I want to talk about some other stuff. And, and to, to do this, let's go back and talk a little bit about Micah the prophet. Micah was a prophet. <laughs> I just said Micah the prophet. Um, in the book of Micah, it's a wonderful read, but um, he prophesied about the coming Messiah earlier in the book. He's talking about Jesus a few times. We, we, I chose this passage because we're using a study guide. It's a, a devotional guide that John Piper put together on Advent. And he had two passages, both pulled from Micah, talking about the gift. Um, and there's some specificity here in what Micah is prophesying. And the details are manifold. There's a lot of details. And we could pick it apart and probably do a, a, a six or eight hour Bible study just about the prophecy in Micah. But for today, let's just look at this in, in a few details. So, oh, Bethlehem. We're talking about Bethlehem. We just sung about it. It's a famous city. But at this time, it was not famous. Nobody cared about Bethlehem, generally speaking. Um, it was just a tiny little thing, in many ways, like Martinsville in some regards. Uh, oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, sure. But, you know, it's Bethlehem, right? It, don't really know. Except David, yes, that David, King David, was born there. So the fact that we see Micah prophesying somebody being brought out of Bethlehem, being born in Bethlehem, is a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to David. God told David his throne be established forever. Now, as you can imagine, we're not talking about this as much because we have experienced Jesus' advent, his death, his resurrection. It's a, it's a whole new game for us. But at this time, there was still a lot of credit, uh, a lot of extolling, and for good reason, to people like David, the heroes of the faith, if you will. But it had been a minute. David's throne hasn't had a king. It's, it had been very quiet. And now how we hear as well, there's going to be a, 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 a Messiah come from that line. And people thought, oh, okay, we'll see. You know, um, time will tell. And as time went on after Micah, time was not looking good for Bethlehem. Things had gone very quiet, and the line of David had in many ways gone dark. There weren't a lot of leaders. But what Micah's talking about is not what the Jews were expecting. Now, we know that this isn't a new ruler per se, right? Christ the Son of God has been the Son of God since eternity past, right? He is part of the Trinity. He was there at the creation of the earth, fundamental and part of it. He did uh, create the world. But Micah's talking about his coming is from old, from ancient days. Now, once again, we know who Christ is, but what he's prophesying about would have probably been confusing. Oh, it's a resurrected ruler. Ah, an older person that maybe has passed on that was a really big name, uh, from ancient days. But this is the Messiah and was always the Messiah. The, the problem that they are finding here is that what they want is a Messiah to bring many gifts. In order to do that, they're relying on what they know about the past. Oh, it's a ruler of old. Oh, that sounds good. Think of all the great rulers we've had. Remember the good old days? Does anybody ever hear that term thrown around today? The good old days? I've heard people say, I wish I would have known they were the good old days when I was going through them. Well, the reality is, someday these will be the good old days. We don't see it now because we remember the other good old days. We have a lot of things like this in our parlance even today. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I say that a lot. Well, if I knew then what I knew now, I'd done it differently. 
they're stuck in the same mindset. Man, we used to have it so good. We used to have great rulers. I can't wait. Maybe we get Elijah back. Wouldn't that be great? Man, he was something else. Or you name it. Oh, Moses, golly, and Aaron. Oh, you know, they didn't make any mistakes. They never did anything wrong, right? Now, at the time, they were fumbling all over the place, desperate for God to help them. But they remember that so fondly that what they're looking for is somebody that's going to show up and fix all this. We want the world better. We were in Exodus, went through, and then we were in the wilderness, and we suffered in this place. We want a Messiah that's going to come and fix our suffering and make our lives better. Here, now, today. The same thing that many of us want today. I want a Christ in my life that's going to make my life better. My bills are suddenly gone away. My ailments are cured. My, my, my sicknesses are taken from me. All my finances are squared away. Our family's relationships are all mended because Jesus worked miracles. I'm no longer addicted to anything. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You fixed my life right here, right now. That's what we want. Malachi reminds us that the Messiah's timing for them and for us is perfectly timed. He puts it here so that we know what's going on. Mary gives birth to Jesus. The line of David is literally reborn. Now, obviously, the line of David was through this. But now what we see is a king coming from the line of David, the promise restored. This Messiah will be king and will reunite Israel to God. Not all of Israel, but his brothers. And the takeaway for them, exciting news, a king again. Yay, a king. They've had some pretty good rungs. King David. Man, this guy was a force. King Solomon. We have a lot of big kings in the in Israel's history. They did wonderful things for Israel, conquered, took care of the people. Other kings, not so much. Even the good kings had their issues. King David, that we hold in high regard, man after God's own heart, did some horrible things, leveraging his power as king. But you'll note the word king hasn't been mentioned here. I'm saying it a lot. There's a reference to this a lot, but it hasn't been mentioned yet. He will stand and shepherd his flock. For his own majesty? No. Majesty in the name of the Lord his God. And because of this shepherd, his flock dwells secure. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Now these are very apt descriptions of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But if you... Wanting a king that's all powerful, shepherding his flock, I could go with that. That's cool. A, a shepherd that has like a tank and nobody's going to take the sheep because he'll kill them all. And uh, His majesty, another majesty of the Lord, now that plays a little bit. His flock dwells secure. Yep, security. I like the sound of that. Great to the ends of the earth. Now we're talking. The whole world's going to know about our king. He shall be their peace. Micah here uh, mentions the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians aren't in play in Christ's time necessarily, but Micah's uh, mentioning them as known invaders in the timeline that he's speaking to. The people that he's prophesying to are well aware of the Assyrians and the threat that they are. But eventually we will run out any that oppose God. Christ will deliver us. And this is what he's prophesying to people that are desperate to hear good news. Now, when we talk about good news... When we here at this church talk about good news, the good news is not that Christ is going to come and give you everything your heart desires, period. That's what they want out of Messiah. This description is okay by them. 
They're able to read these words and apply it to a future Messiah that looks like it's going to fulfill exactly what they want. We want vengeance. We want wealth and health and prosperity. We want, a, we want our names to be well regarded in this earth. And if this king can do it for us, that sounds great. Sounds pretty kingly and a great gift. They wanted a mighty king, but not because they wanted eternal salvation. The peace they wanted was peace on earth and easy living. And we sing about this. And I'm not even opposed to peace on earth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, man, we need, we need good old-fashioned war times endlessly. No. But peace on earth cannot be our primary goal. You can achieve peace on earth by killing all of your adversaries. If I'm the last man standing, who am I at war with? I did it. By copious amounts of, of murder, I have achieved peace on earth. But I would argue that's probably not God's plan for peace on earth. They wanted peace on earth and they wanted easy living. They were tired of being tired. Now, maybe these first three are like, well, I don't need that. But that last one, if you can't relate to that, lucky you, because I certainly can. It's exhausting being alive sometimes. It just, it seems like it never ends. <laughs> I'm always alive. And it, the world, I can't, the things I want to change, I can't necessarily do that. I see people that I love making bad decisions or going through tough times, and I'm powerless to help them. And I want something, somebody, someone to intervene. They wanted that. We want that. They were looking forward to a Messiah that was going to fix that. Spoiler alert, church. We have a Messiah that has fixed that. But what he fixed isn't necessarily what it is that we think we need fixing. But wait, Jesus didn't conquer anyone on earth, did he? Shockingly to many, he did not. He was not a warrior king. He didn't arrive on horseback and begin to slaughter legions of Romans. We know how he was born, and it was in a very low way. And he was raised as a kid of a carpenter. He was a tradesman, very smart, then went on ministry. We were just reading a, in, in a small group, uh, the, the chunk from last week, there's a few verses beyond that that I didn't have in my, my sermon, and it ends with him saying, by the way, don't tell anybody that I'm, your confession, Peter, that's awesome, and that's from God, and that's what we're going to use to build our church, but don't tell anybody about any of this right now. Why? Because they would kill him. And he needed more time. And we don't, we're not limited by that. Now, tell everybody you can. But at the time, that was not the kind of thing they were expecting. Just keep them at bay. Why can't we tell everybody? And they come to make war with you, and you smite them into oblivion. Wasn't the plan. For tired Jews aching for revenge, this gift was underwhelming. Christ did not talk or deal revenge. Now, we know he overturned some tables because he's frustrated with the way the church was operating. But this wasn't vengeance for past wrongs committed against the Jews. He subverted much of the Jewish leadership's rules over the Jews. Right? He was all the time arguing with Sadducees and Pharisees and, and various mucky-mucks in the Jewish community, calling them out for their hypocrisy, their lies and bad behavior. And he even seemed to side with the oppressors from time to time. We say things today like, uh, well, you know, Rendered unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. And you'll hear me say out of the other side of my mouth, but all things belong to God. Well, which is it? Is it Caesar's or is it God's? Because of what we know in the, in, in the Word, it's all God's, of course. But it's currently Caesar's in control, and if Caesar wages a, uh, or wants, uh, wants to levy a tax, 
then we as good citizens should pay the tax. Now, if the tax comes with it, something that is completely, you, and you need to deny God when you write your check, that's different. But if it's just a tax, pay it. Render to him what's in. The Jews would have saw that as a betrayal. None of this is Caesar's. This was our land to begin with. They're conquering our kingdom. We want it back. They should be paying us. So, so what went wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Make it very clear. Not one thing went wrong with Christ's advent. It was and is the greatest gift of all time. He's not the gift we want. He is not the gift we want. He is the gift we need. Now, you may argue with me. Oh, that's not true. I want Christ. If you want Christ, it's because God started that in you. Without God, without Christ, we don't want Christ. We have no need for him. We'll save ourselves. Well, I guess we'll take care of the vengeance. I guess I'll feed my family. I guess I'll go to the hospital. I guess we'll make doctors. Mankind's worked really, really hard to do as much as we can, thinking we're doing it without God. The reality is every breath I take is grace. The fact that I can move my hand and pick something up and learn to do something skilled with it is grace upon grace upon grace. But if we don't see it that way, we begin to put ourselves in the position of God. Then when Christ comes to say, I'm going to make it so that you can spend eternity with God, our answer is, what God and why do I care? I've taken it this far. I think I'll just take it, from, take it the rest of the way. But he is the gift that we need. Without Christ, we have nothing. Nothing. All of our skills, all of our best efforts, someday will come to pass on this earth into dust. I will become dust. It will happen. Now, if Christ intervenes, comes back today, and I am transfigured, I never technically die and turn to dust, you can point at me and say, nah, liar, you didn't turn to dust. But if he doesn't, expect me to become dust. That dust is useless in eternity. But the faith that comes from Christ, the gift that was given, lasts forever. So let's focus on four parts of this gift. Jesus' gift of faith, of mercy, of grace, and peace. And maybe all four of those sound, yeah, yeah, those all sound like gifts from Jesus. And maybe a couple of those you're like, well, it's not really a gift from Jesus, is it? I, I will assert all of them are because of Jesus. And um, hopefully by the end of this, you'll agree. Let's start with faith. Jesus' gift of faith. Because of Christ, we have the capacity of faith in God. <coughs> if it wasn't for Jesus' work on the cross, we would have no way for, to, to ever commune with God, nor he with us. We were talking about this in our small group in more depth, and it's, it's, there's some maybe, I don't know, nuanced theological points here or something. But the reality is, my faith is not my own. I did not one day wake up and work out in my own mind. There is a God. He is triune. The Son of God did come. Yes, this all makes sense. I can verify the Bible's true because I now have come to this conclusion without any input, at which point the Holy Spirit says, oh, he got it? Well, great. He worked it out on his own. I guess I'll indwell him. This starts with God saying, your heart is slightly different. Something new is in there. I've heard the term used, a splinter in your mind as a thought, thing you can't get rid of. That's how I think about it. And a good splinter, I guess, right? And an infection ensues that is very positive for you. But this idea that there's something that changes. There's a splinter in my mind or in my heart, and it's 
it maybe first a little unsettling, and I, I don't really know what to do with this, and then things begin to change, and, and I, if I invest in that and I spend time in that, then sure enough, more things begin to be understood. Then my faith begins to grow. God's gift of faith is the starting point for Christ's work in our lives. Our starting point, the, the, the starting point for Christ's work in our life is not anything that begins with our. I did not do it. My piety, my helpfulness, my good speaking skills, my height, my weight, my good looks, any of these things, none of them make a, a difference at all with regards to Christ's work in my life. It is of Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. Christ was without sin, and because of his sacrifice, we are able to believe. Without, what he had, without him doing only what he could do, we have no hope. We can never dwell with God. Nor would we want to. We would see him as an adversary and an enemy. An unjust monster that doesn't understand how much we love things around us. Doesn't understand how valuable I am. I've got such good ideas, God. Why don't you, why don't you just love me because of that? And it's because I don't care about that. Those ideas came from me. They're all me. I made your brain. I know everything about it. I am the creator of the machine that you're taking such pride in its operation. I built it. I know how it runs. The blood that pumps through your body, the thoughts in your brains, the neuro, all God. Then we have the audacity to say, but, but I'll take it from here. Well, sure, right? Has anyone ever given a gift, maybe a, an expensive gift to somebody that didn't really have a vested interest? A car always comes to mind. Uh, when I was a young man and, and I had some friends whose parents bought them like Mustangs and BMWs, expensive cars, new cars, and I watched them treat these cars like garbage because they had nothing invested in it. It cost them nothing. They didn't understand how valuable that car was. To them, it was just another thing. They were ignorant of that, and they acted ignorantly. For those of us that were blessed to be able to borrow a vehicle from my parents occasionally, I took good care of that vehicle. Why? Because I knew my parents were going to get in it tomorrow, and I know how much time and money they spent on that vehicle. And I wasn't about to be the one to get in trouble for damaging the vehicle that they worked so hard to provide for me. When it comes to Christ and this gift of faith, Christ appears, changes us. I believe, thank you for this wonderful car, but if I don't take the time to learn about the value of the gift, I may throw it in a drawer. If you talk about saying a prayer doesn't save you, it's that reason. People might be saved at a young age, but if they shelve their faith, if they don't ever really take any time to learn about it, they put it in a drawer, they never look at it. Oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that when I was 12 at church camp. Oh, you have any idea how cool this is? It's unbelievable. This will change your life. This is the key to eternity. This unlocks through God in you an understanding of God that others don't ever have. What? I thought it was just a, you know, like a ticket to heaven. Oh, it's so much more. It's a ticket to a better life now. It's a ticket to seeing the things that others complain about needing to be taken away in a new way. That's the gift of faith, and it's the greatest gift. Let's talk about Jesus' gift of mercy. Christ's work on the cross is beyond words. If you've ever heard me talk about this, I always end up stammering. 
We have a lot of physical descriptions that Christ suffered leading to the cross. I believe that in and of itself is grace and mercy to us to try to have some idea of, some minuscule idea of the pain and anguish that Christ endured. Having thorns uh, hammered into his skull. Having his back flayed to the bone. Having to carry a cross in that condition up a hill. Being nailed to it and hung on it till you die. Have your side pierced to verify your lungs are filled with water and that you have suffocated adequately. Although it is awful, an awful way to die. But compared to the bearing of God's wrath is Christmas morning with everything you ever wanted. It is, there's no words. His suffering, the, I, 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 here I go, I'm going to stammer again, but like, there's a reason we can't describe it with words, and it's, it's too grotesque. What Christ suffered for us is, it, it, it changed everything because it was horrible beyond everything. We are talking the payment due for the sin of all the elect for all time, dumped on Christ by the Father who's pleased to do it. Man. Taking, knowing, watching your father dump wrath on you, wrath, unheard of wrath, with pleasure, I can't even imagine. I am so sorry it came to that. I say that honestly. But without that sacrifice, we would suffer eternally, hating God. Don't miss those last two words. This isn't us saying, oh God, we're so sorry. We didn't know. Oh, I believe now. And he says, too late. Nope. You know that scene from Christmas? Uh, I wait, I, I want to dance Red Rider. You'll shoot your eye out. And he kicks him down the slide. That's not this moment. We are sitting across from God in hatred of God, suffering in eternity without his loving presence, underneath his wrath, cursing his name forever. Jesus' gift of mercy changes that fundamentally. What he did on that cross... But he bore the wrath due me, not because of anything I did, but because he wanted to save me. That is mercy, and it is the greatest gift. Now, Jesus' gift of grace. Grace, if we define it, is unmerited favor. Grace and mercy are two wonderful words, and in some regards are very similar, and almost kind of feed into one another, but they are different. Grace is different from mercy in that through grace we are given more than we deserve. So we think about a line that would be zero. As we sin, we move that down. We have a debt that needs to be paid. Jesus pays that debt, and we're back to zero. But then, more arrives. <laughs> we go above zero. He doesn't just take care of what we owe. He then gives us a stipend. And keeps giving us a stipend in myriad ways. Not just, I'm using money as an example because it's easy to measure. But the debt that, that I owed was death. Christ paid that with death. That squares it up. But now, we are given other things. The ability to commune with God. Yes, I'm no longer owed death. But I've been washed completely of my sin. I can now dwell with the Father. The Holy Spirit can indwell me. 
I can now read and interpret Scripture because of the Holy Spirit's work through me. I can tell the good news of Christ, and it has power because of what Christ has done, not because of me. This is grace. This gift grants us entrance into the Holy of Holies for eternity. We cannot dwell with God forever if we have a blot of sin on us. It cannot be done. It can't be in the presence. It's not going to happen. We will be able to move into the throne room. We talk about the, if you, if you read any of the you know, eschatological parts of the Bible, and they talk about there's a bunch of elders, and they're underneath the altar, and they're asking for vengeance. There's going to come a day when all that's finished, right? New creation, new earth, we're dwelling with Christ forever. We sing a song, uh, Is He Worthy? And one of the questions we ask there is, does our God intend to dwell again with us? I don't think I've ever said that question out loud until that song. But it's true. He does. He intends to dwell again with his people. But in order to do that, we must be clean. And not just clean, but what we see here is, now that you're clean, come. We're going to do great work. You're going to be part of something that is going to last forever. Way better than anything you could ever imagine. Way better than just being made clean and left alone. I'm going to make you clean and we're going to put you to work. I want your life to change for the better. You're going to know more about me and my works and my father. You're going to see miracles on earth. You're going to be moved to tears. Has anybody ever done the work of the Lord and almost been floored to where you can't even speak? That's grace. That's the part of the Holy Spirit in us welling up inside of us saying, it's real. It's true. It's, this, is, this, is, this is more important than anything else that I could possibly do. We quickly forget that, but it is grace and it is the greatest gift. And finally, Jesus' gift of peace. And this is the gift I say the Jews got wrong. Make no mistake, Jesus will bring peace to all creation. The whole earth, everything will be at peace. But not yet. Jesus has provided for peace between us and the Father. It is finished. He said that on the cross, and it's true. The peace he brought was not peace on earth. Not peace between the nations or peace between family members. He didn't just come and declare that everybody stop war. Okay, got it, Jesus. Next. His peace is between us and God. We were at war with God. No more. Faith in Christ changes that. When, when we go back and we read through some of those titles, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, it's really, really easy to move to a view of Christ as a powerful king, as a, an unbelievably educated lord over the land, right? A prince of peace. Everywhere he goes, he heralds the lack of fighting. We don't often see him dying on the cross and the sun going black for hours. And think about that as the king of kings and the lord of lords, the prince of peace taking his last breath, asking God why he was forsaken. But that is where the peace was made between us and God. God can uncreate the earth with a word. He can make a peaceful, a peaceful nation, a peaceful planet, a peaceful existence anytime he chooses. We don't need Christ to come down here and do that. The peace that Christ brought was peace between us and God. And it is finished. There is nothing else to be done to bring me into the good grace of the Father except for 
the faith in Jesus that comes from Jesus. And this is the greatest gift. Four greatest gifts. Is this like the Lone Rangers? I always like that. Pluralizing Lone Rangers doesn't make any sense. How can you be alone and be multiple? It doesn't make sense. Yes, it doesn't. <laughs> I like these conundrums, and I find them comforting. When people talk about the Trinity, or we talk about uh, Christ being fully God and fully man, these are conundrums. We could try to explain it. It's like water becomes ice and steam, but they're all inadequate because the Trinity is something mysterious. Christ is fully God and fully man. There's a term called hypostatic union. The reason that people come up with confusing terms is because we don't have any other good terms to identify it. So they make one up. That's what it is. It sounds complicated. It is complicated. Explain it to me. I can't do it. But I find them comforting. I didn't used to, but I do now because it helps me remember that God is more in every way. Whatever you have got going on in your life, God is more than that. Well, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good. God's better. I'm pretty godly. God's godlier. Jesus was fully God and fully sinless man. I'll never achieve that. God's more. Even if I did achieve that, God's got three. I'm only two, right? He's always more. It's, it's good for me to know that there's no hope in me fully understanding God, and that's okay. So I have a tattoo that talks about the five solas. Well, it's five alones. <laughs> it's Christ alone through Scripture alone. Like, but I thought I was alone. <laughs> there you go. I love that stuff because they are all alone in different dimensions. And that's what paints this picture for us. When we talk about the greatest gift, it is Jesus Christ coming to this earth, living a sinless life, dying on the cross unjustly, paying for me, giving me grace to be able to dwell with the Father and do amazing, miraculous things in His name for His glory. And I get to spend eternity with Him. Every part of that is critical and important and is the greatest part of that because without it, there can't be a complete story. So what about us? Do we see Jesus as the greatest gift? And if we do, do we understand why? Hopefully we understand a little bit better. We just talked about a lot of it, I hope. But not just because of his lowly birth, but because of his godly life. You know, this time of year, there's going to be a lot of people that want to get sentimental and reminisce and I'm not saying it's bad about the birth of Christ. I want to see him in the manger, and oh man, look how tender that is, and what a terrible scenario they had to go back, and that, the, that God had to be born in this place, and it's sad, it's sad, but if you know the full story, it's beautiful, it's the beginning of Jesus sacrificing his glory for God's glory and our good. Do others know how precious he is to us? And if not, how can we share this gift with others this Christmas? we still got time. Uh, for Christmas next week, we've got a week leading up. People will be meeting with family and friends. Talk about this stuff. We're opening our gifts, and we're starting to unwrap things or whatever, and people are like, man, this is the best gift ever. I don't mean like, uh, actually, the best gift ever was Jesus. Let me go into it. And that's not the point. But you're bound to, I'm telling you right now, you are bound to come across somebody this Christmas that wants to die because they hate this Christmas. It's painful for some reason. It's tedious. It's difficult. It's frustrating. They're going through the motions. They're at the end of their rope, and this happy, joyous season reminds them that they may never be happy or joyous again. 
that person needs to hear about this gift. A gift that can change their life forever. Not make everything magically go away. But give them an idea of what's to come. Something to live for. Build toward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I I thank you so much for the prophecies of the Old Testament, for the fulfillment in the New Testament, Lord. I love how it all connects to paint a beautiful picture of your plan, your glory, your grace, your mercy. And yes, Lord, through the work of your son, peace provided between your creation and you. Lord, it is a wonderful story. The greatest story ever told, I agree with that completely, Lord. Help us to bear that in mind this Christmas season as we bump into people, family, friends, who knows, that maybe don't know the greatest story. They don't understand why it's such a good story at all. Maybe they don't even understand what Jesus was outside of a man that was born in the manger, did some really great stuff, and then died. Um, Lord, help us be able to speak to that intelligently. Help us be able to get to the, the, to the Bible, maybe read some of these, these passages together. Lord, help us to confidently say, we don't know when we don't know. There's mysteries in the Word, but help us to be able to communicate that it's, it's comforting because the truth is you did something extraordinary when you came to this earth. And it became even more extraordinary as your time on this earth went on all the way to your death on that cross and your resurrection thereafter, Lord. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for this congregation. To your sons, I pray. Amen.